Hi, welcome to Pitt Town Church. We are so glad that you're listening to this podcast. We pray that this sermon encourages you in your walk with Jesus. If you would like more information, check out our website at www.pitttownchurch.com. Hi, I'm Kim, and today our reading is Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 to 20. Finally, be strengthened by the Lord and by his vast strength. Put on the full armour of God so that you can stand against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this darkness, against evil spiritual forces in the heavens. For this reason, take up the full armour of God so that you may be able to resist in the evil day and having prepared everything to take your stand. Stand therefore with truth like a belt around your waist, righteousness like armour on your chest, and your feet sandaled with readiness for the gospel of peace. In every situation, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Pray at all times in the Spirit with every prayer and request and stay alert with all perseverance and intercession for all the saints. Pray also for me that the message may be given to me when I open my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel. For this I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I might be bold enough to speak about it as I should. Hey everyone, Craig here, back again, and it's time for us to jump into God's Word. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your Word, and Father, we ask now as we come to look at it that you would help us to understand that you would be our teacher, and Father, that you would help us to know you and know your plans for us and for the world, that we would be stronger as followers of the Lord Jesus. And Father, we pray this in his name. Amen. Okay, well, just to recap where we've been up to and what we're doing in our vision series here, we are we want to be stronger as followers of Jesus. And we want to look at what God says about that and, and what it means to be stronger. Last week was Habakkuk chapter 3, and we saw that the righteous lived by faith, that the right thing to do was to trust God and to trust his word. And what that meant in practice was that no matter what the circumstances around us are like, no matter what that is, even if they were as bad as they could possibly get, that our joy was not to be found in them, but our joy was to be found in the God of our salvation. And that when our joy was in God, then God was our strength. And this week, we're moving into the New Testament, into Ephesians chapter 6. And as we move forward into the future, as we think about what life will look like now after lockdown and what life will look like maybe into next year and beyond, we want to do it by grounding ourselves in what God has to say. But here's what I want us to see today. What I want us to see is this is something that's easy to miss. 
this section that we're about to look at, Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 to 20, this is a summary of the whole book of Ephesians. What In these verses, Paul isn't saying anything particularly new or different. Everything he talks about here, he's already talked about in the rest of the book of Ephesians. So here we go, Ephesians chapter 6, starting at verse 10. He says, finally, summarizing, here's the end, be strengthened by the Lord and by his vast strength. Now, just before we go any further, this word by, it could be, it could be that, or it could be probably better in, be strengthened in the Lord. And it's understandable that they would translate it by the Lord because it's confusing to be strengthened in the Lord. But, it, but that's probably what Paul has to say here because the phrase, you know, in him or in the Lord or in Christ or in Jesus, that's one of Paul's favorite phrases in the book of Ephesians. Let me show you just really quickly here in Ephesians chapter 1. This is the, his opening section, and he's, we have been blessed in Christ. He chose us in him, the, his, the glorious grace that he favored us with in the beloved. We have redemption in him. There is the mystery of his will that he planned in him, that his plan is to bring everything together in the Messiah, things in heaven, things on earth, in him. And we have also received an inheritance in him. It is on and on, in him, in him. This is like his favorite thing. And so here in chapter six, that's probably what's happening. But it is, it's a very confusing thought. Like I can, I get what it means to follow Jesus. I get what it means to maybe be under Jesus, you know, submit to him. I get what it means to be saved by him, to be inspired by him, to trust him. But what does it mean to be in him? The vibe is it's, you know, kind of that he's a place or he's a location or he's some kind of sphere that we're in. And that's just not a normal way that we would think about it. But the summary of what it means to be in Jesus, the summary is whatever is true of him is then true of us. That's what it means to be in him. So, for example, let's pretend that you were going to take a plane, you were going to take a plane to Queensland. Now, is this a plane or is it a fish? It's definitely a plane. If you were to be on a plane to Queensland, what should your relationship to this plane be? Should you be under the plane, you know, like submitting to its authority in the skies? Maybe. Should you be inspired by the plane, you know, that as you kind of watch it take off at the airport, you quietly whisper to yourself, one day I'll fly like that. Like, is that what you should do? Maybe. Should you, should you follow the plane and just check 
the direction that it's heading in and if you then go the same direction as it, then you'll end up in Queensland, maybe. But more likely, what you need to do is you need to be in the plane. And if you are in the plane, then you will end up in Queensland. What happens to the plane will happen to you. And if someone said to you, um, did you make it to Queensland? That is a smaller sub question of the bigger question. Did the plane make it to make it to Queensland? And if the plane made it and you were in it, then you made it. That's kind of the idea that what happens, whatever is true of Jesus is true of us if we are in him. So you see it, for example, in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 6 and 7, where Paul says, together with Christ Jesus, that's, this, is this, this is that idea, he also raised us up and seated us in the heavens so that in the coming ages he might display the immeasurable riches of his grace through his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. That is, what is true of Jesus is true of us. Jesus has been raised, and so have we. Jesus has been seated in the heavens, and so, so have we, together with him. And there is kindness that is ours in Jesus. And so that's kind of what Paul means here in this opening phrase of Ephesians chapter 6. Now, I know we haven't got very far, but that's what he's, I think that's what he's talking about, that we are to be strengthened in the Lord and then in or by his vast strength. And again, Paul has talked about this earlier back in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 18 to 21, where he says he prays. And what he prays is that they may know something and what What he wants them to know, verse 19, is the immeasurable greatness of his power according to the working of his vast strength. There's that phrase, his vast strength. Now, what is this power? What is this vast strength? Well, he demonstrated this power in the Messiah by raising him from the dead and seating him at his right hand in the heavens. The power is his vast strength, which is demonstrated by raising Jesus from the dead and seating him in the heavens, which is what we just saw in chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. He seated him there above every ruler, authority, power, dominion. So, verse 1, or the, the first verse that we've looked at so far, verse 10, finally be strengthened in the Lord and in his vast resurrection strength. The point of this is it's not that you need to make yourself strong. It's that we are to be strengthened by his mighty power, his his mighty resurrection power that transforms you from being dead in your sin and an object of wrath, chapter 2, to now being alive and, and raised 
and seated in the heavenly places far above any spiritual power or spiritual force. That is, this isn't here in verse 10 a call to just be strong and to and to man up or to, you know, hashtag girl power or that's not that's not what this is. This is a reminder that the only strength that we have that's worth anything is God's strength. And it's when you can acknowledge that you are weak before him and powerless and sinful and sometimes maybe often stupid. It's in that humility where we run to Jesus that we can find the strength that God supplies. It's then that we are strong in the Lord. And what we want to do is we want to be strong as followers of the Lord Jesus. And the way to be strengthened and the only way that that happens is when we come to see and accept the message of Jesus and his sacrifice for us and his lordship over all things, all the things that Paul has brilliantly and beautifully outlined up until this point in the book of Ephesians. And so it only happens when we acknowledge that we need God to strengthen us. And so then he says, verse 11, the way that God strengthens us is when we put on the full armor of God. So we are to be strengthened. That feels like a thing that God does. But then we're told to put on kind of the way that God strengthens us perhaps is as we put on the full armor. So it feels a bit, you know, in one sense, it's a bit passive. God strengthens us. In another sense, it's active. We need to put on the full armor. And you get this right at the very start, this sort of tension between those two things. And and we'll come back to that thought a little bit later on. So, we put on the armor. Why? What's the point of it? So that you can stand against the tactics of the devil. Verse 12, for our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, the authorities, the world powers of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavens. This is I guess maybe strange for us Western Christians, maybe to think about the spiritual realm and spiritual forces. The the Bible doesn't say that much about these spiritual forces and authorities and rulers. It says that what we see, this physical realm is not all there is. There is another maybe layer on top, perhaps, that that that's where the spiritual forces exist, angels and and these rulers and powers and other things like that. Now, Ephesus was known as a bit of a center for the magical arts, these kind of dark practices. They were very concerned with warding off evil 
spirits and they were afraid of curses and they were big into witchcraft and rituals and magic texts that would protect them from hostile supernatural forces. And we get a glimpse of it when Paul arrives in Ephesus in Acts chapter 19. We get this, we get this picture. People become followers of Jesus and we're told in verse 19, that many of those who had practiced magic collected their books and burned them in front of everyone. And so they calculated their value and found it to be 50,000 pieces of silver. Now, there are lots of different types of pieces of silver in the ancient Greco-Roman world. This is probably what's called drachma. And in case you wanted to see, here's a picture of what a drachma looked like. There it is. That's a drachma in this kind of Greek world. It was like a silver coin. And there was all kinds of different ones. There was like a double drachma and a quadruple drachma. They called it a tetradrachma. But um, it's probably a drachma. And a drachma is about a day's wages. Now, it's very difficult to work out what the equivalent is for ancient currency to modern equivalent currency. It's very hard to work out how much stuff is worth because, you know, they're a peasant agrarian society. We're a modern industrial society. Very, very challenging. But if we take the kind of day's wage thing, uh, I googled the Australian Bureau of Statistics to find out the median, middle, full-time, weekly wage for Australia. And the full-time, weekly wage median is 1400 Australian dollars, which means the average daily wage is about 280 bucks. So in Ephesus... Their sorcery with all these new Christians, they burned 50,000 drachma worth, 50,000 days wages, which equals about $14 million worth of magical texts. (laughs) I mean, that's a lot of magic texts. So magic and spiritual forces are a big deal for the Ephesians. They were big into magic, very conscious of it, very afraid of hostile powers and authorities. And we already saw back in chapter 1, verse 21, Jesus has been seated above every spiritual ruler and authority and power and dominion, every name that can be named. He is above it. And so he is sovereign and he is supreme. So anyway, so back here in chapter six of Ephesians, there is this spiritual layer and we are to put on the armor. It says, verse 13, this is why you must take up the full armor of God so that you may be able to resist, that is to stand in the evil day, and having prepared everything to take your stand. Stand, therefore. You kind of get the vibe. 
that Paul wants us to stand, you know, stand, 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 stand. It's like, right, got it, stand, can do. But often the truth is we don't get it because armour and warfare makes us feel like we need to go on the attack and we need to go on the offensive and, and take ground and And that might be true in some ways, but Paul's point here is that our job is to stand firm. Just just don't give up. That's your job. Just don't give up. And we saw that a little bit last week too with Habakkuk. You you know, you, you have two options. You can stand or you can walk away. And that's the options. And people sometimes, and you know people like this probably, they do walk away. They maybe used to be here with us. Maybe you prayed with them. Maybe you're in a growth group with them and they no longer stand with and in the Lord Jesus. And what Paul wants for us and what Jesus wants for you and what I want for you is that you would stand, that whatever happens, whatever comes, whatever your circumstances end up like, whether one day you might leave our church and go to a different church. I mean, everyone's going to leave our church eventually. No one's going to be here forever. But that wherever you go, that you would stand and that you wouldn't walk away from the Lord Jesus and that after you've done everything, prepared everything, that you would stand strong. So then, what is this armour that Paul is describing? He's describing this armour of God. And so what is it? Well, the armour of God is um, mentioned in the Old Testament back in Isaiah 11 and Isaiah 59. You might want to chase those up maybe in your growth group this week. This is God's armor. And what's amazing is that this is God's armor, which is then worn by the great Isaiah servant of the Lord, the Messiah, Jesus, who then now has given it to us to wear. I mean, that that's an amazing thought. And preachers sometimes get carried away with the armor, explaining and detailing every piece of it and, and, and how you can put it on. But that's not really the point of the passage. Because did you notice what the armor is? It's truth. It's righteousness. It's readiness for the gospel of peace. It's faith. It's salvation. It's God's word. The the point is not which piece of armor is what and how do you put it on. The point is that the armor is the gospel. It's the experience of every Christian person. It's everything that Paul has already been 
talking about. You can chase this through. Again, maybe you might want to do this with your with your growth group. But, you know, truth, he mentions it in chapter 1, verse 13. Righteousness, 4, verse 24. The gospel of peace, 2.14. Faith, I mean, faith's all over the place. 1.19, 2.8. Three, sixteen, and seventeen. Salvation, one thirteen, two eight again. God's word and the sword of the spirit, one thirteen. Like this, this is his summary, tying all the threads of of the whole book. And now he says, after the the whole book and all that is talked about, it's time to take hold of all of that and to put all of that on and to live like that and to hold on to that. The armor is the gospel. The armor is being a Christian. It's not as though the idea is you are a Christian and now you need to go over here and put on this other armor. That's not what he means. No, becoming a Christian is putting on the armor. If if you are a Christian, you have the armor. And so Paul says, since you have it, you need to put it on. And this is this is classic Paul. Cuz you know, maybe your question is if the armor is the gospel, then don't I already have the armor? And the answer is yes. That's right. This is this is how Paul talks. You you become what you already are. So in chapter 4 and chapter 5, for example, he says you've you've already been made new. And so put on the new self. You've been made new, so act like it. And here it's the same thing. You already have the armor, so put it on. Become what you already are. And then he says that we are to pray. Verse 18, pray. And this is, it's more, it's not like another command that put the armor on and then also pray. It's more by praying. That's the kind of sense of what he means here. Here's this armor, put it on, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, by praying. And so it's like, how are we strengthened well, by more and more putting on the armor and by praying. It's not, prayer is not a part of the armor. It's what we are to be doing in the armor. It, it permeates and undergirds everything. We are to pray. And we're to pray all the times with every prayer, with all perseverance for all the saints, right? All the time, all kinds of prayers for all 
things for all people. All, all, all. All, all, every, all. And then notice too how he says we are to pray in the spirit. Now, what does that mean? To pray in the spirit. Well, what it means is like it's it's not as though you could pray normal prayers and then there's a second special kind of praying where you pray in the spirit. No, that is that is just not what the Bible says. Every time you pray, you are praying in the spirit. And if you're not praying in the spirit, then you're not praying. Paul's already explained this in Ephesians, over here in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 18, where he says, through him, that's Jesus, through him, we both, that's Jews and non-Jews, through Jesus, both Jews and non-Jews have access by one spirit to the Father. We have access to the Father through Jesus by the Spirit, right? To, to the Father through Jesus by the Spirit. That's the only way. You can't access the Father except by the Spirit. Your prayers don't get to the Father unless they are by the Spirit. So it's it's not different to normal prayer. Without the Spirit, you cannot call God Father. And without the Spirit, you definitely have no access to the Father. And so when people are praying in the Spirit, that's not a it's not a separate and a different way of praying. Praying in the Spirit is the only way that you can pray. And so back here in chapter 6, we are to pray all the time in the Spirit, every prayer with all perseverance for all the saints. And he says, pray also for me that the message may be given to me when I open my mouth to make known the mystery of the gospel. I'm an ambassador. Pray that I might be bold enough in him to speak as I should. And so, you know, often, I don't know if you read this and you've watched and listened so far and it started out so spectacular. You know, the armour and and taking your stand against the devil and his tactics and all the different spiritual forces sounded so spectacular, so interesting. And then the more it kind of went on, the more ordinary it kind of became. It was about faith and truth and righteousness and the Bible, you know, God's word and praying and not even praying spectacular prayers, just just kind of just normal praying. And it kind of feels not very 
interesting, you know, because we often aren't interested in the ordinary. Ordinary, we're often more interested in the spectacular, in the extraordinary. If someone, if someone, if you describe someone as being ordinary, that's not a compliment. That, mean, that means they're not interesting. You know, there are some people in life who have had a personality bypass, it seems. If your week was ordinary, that means it's boring and there's nothing else to say about it. If, if your relationship is ordinary, that means that they're not really special. If I asked you, hey, describe your mum or uh, describe, describe your boyfriend. And if you said, well, I think the best way to describe them is that they are ordinary, generic, lacking in anything that you could call interest. Right? That's not a great way to describe something. And so I guess what, what we've seen is that maybe the spectacular and the ordinary aren't as opposite as we might sometimes think. And when it comes to God and what he's doing in the world, often the ordinary and the spectacular are often the same thing. And we, and we mess ourselves up when we make things harder for ourselves by looking for the spectacular anywhere and everywhere else than in the ordinary things of God and the gospel and church and all the normal ordinary things. Sometimes in looking for the spectacular, we miss out on the beauty of the ordinary. And sometimes we miss the spectacularness of the ordinary. And so how will God strengthen you? Well, he'll strengthen you in the Lord. And how will he strengthen you in the Lord? Well, it's through the gospel. And it's through prayer. And so don't bother looking elsewhere. Put on what you already have. Become what you already are. That's how you grow stronger in Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you for how helpful it is and and how clarifying it is. And Father, we pray, each one of us, that we would not be bored or we would not overlook the ordinary and look for the spectacular. Father, help us to see the spectacularness of the ordinary, that in prayer we have access to you, the God of the whole universe, and we can call you Father by the Spirit and through the Lord Jesus. Father, thank you for how spectacular that is. And Father, we pray that you would help us to stand firm in the gospel, that we would not walk away, but that we would become stronger and stronger in it. And so, Father, we ask that you would strengthen us as individuals and as a church in this gospel. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.